Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi there, and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm going to talk about Thatcherism today. Um, and I'm going to talk about it for a couple of reasons. Now, if you've been following me on Patreon, you'll know I've been writing recently about the various crises that exist within conservatism. Uh, I think it's relevant at the moment because, um, obviously, Great Britain is ruled by, and has been since 2010, ruled by a uh, conservative government, obviously a coalition for the first five years, but let's face it, the Tories were calling the shots, um, and, and we were ruled by a strange variant of conservatism that seems to bear no resemblance to anything that's really gone before it. Perhaps it's a variant of conservatism uh, that doesn't really know coherently what it stands for, other than, of course, the advancement of uh, one uh, Alexander Boris de Feffel Johnson. Um, and here we've got uh, an opportunity to, to look at how conservatism evolves, changes, adapts. It is as a highly kind of uh, mercurial, um, changing uh, force. And this accounts for it, its political success, as the, it's often said, the, the British Conservative Party is the most successful political party that the world has ever seen. Um, and its ability to retain power by morphing and altering itself, so much so that very often it doesn't bear any resemblance to uh, classic conservatism, uh, the um, conservatism the likes of, of, of Edmund Burke uh, back in the, the late uh, 18th century. Um, but, of course, really, conservatism is there to conserve. The one thing that's always there to conserve is its own political success and its retention of political power. OK, so we're looking today at The Rise and Fall of the British Nation by David Edgerton. It's a book that I, I think anyone serious about studying modern British history needs to read this cover to cover. It's an extraordinary book, um, and um, it, I, I can't do it really enough... Um, enough credit 
Um, you know, there, there are various historians, such as Tony Judd and Adam Tews, that I, I often champion. I haven't really read a book as extraordinary as this since I read Post-War by Tony Judd. Uh, so, David Edgerton, if you're listening, um, this is a, a, a magisterial book. Um, so, I'm going to look at the, the, the section that he, he writes about Thatcherism uh, called The Ruler's Revolt. Um, and he writes about the advent of Margaret Thatcher in 1975, when she took control of the Conservative Party, thusly, he writes. In 1975, in a dramatic shift, the leadership of the Conservative Party changed in style, substance, and its deep nature. It was the result of a coup, firstly against the conserv- against a Conservative Party leader. It was to be called, very misleadingly, the Peasants' Revolt. But Margaret Thatcher was voted in by Toffs, country gents and treasury specialists, men of old money, old regiments and old school ties. Edward Heath, leader in, since 1965, when he was the first leader of the Conservative Party to be elected by members of Parliament, was thrown out of office. Conservative MPs replaced Heath by somebody not much younger, of similar social origin, who had studied also in Oxford. But Heath was a man who had visited Republican Spain during the Civil War, um, where he met Jack Jones, then fighting in the International Brigades, later to be the leader of the TGWU, the Transport and General Workers' Union. By contrast, Margaret Thatcher had no positive feeling for the anti-fascist compact of the 1930s or the war in its aftermath. So, here's something really, really fascinating. So, the, the fact that, you know, prior to Heath, uh, the likes of Macmillan and, and Douglas Hume and people like that, kind they, they kind of emerge. They there is no um, voting process by parliamentarians. They they emerge by gentlemen's agreements and deals and party grandees saying you know so and so is a jolly good chap and all that kind of thing. Um, so a, the, the the democratic process instantly produces one after another two fairly lower middle-class um, aspirant kind of um, conservatives, the sorts of people that represented Tory values in the 1960s and 70s. Uh, the idea, the, the, the voter, the Tory voter in the 1960s and 70s isn't um, you know, bagging grouse on the moors of Scotland. What, what they are are small business people people who believe that unions are holding them back at work um, and are fed up with wildcat strikes, people that want to own their own homes. These are lower middle class people who want um, a better part, uh, you know, a bigger part of the affluence that the 60s have offered them and believe that the the Tories uh, were, are, are the party of that. Um, and the Tories are very successful in capturing this um, sense of being the party of aspiration. And this was nothing new. Um, They appealed to this even in the 1930s. Stanley Baldwin um, looked to be the the, the Prime Minister who who led the the party of getting ahead, the party of of home and the party of um, individual aspirations and dreams. So... um, the fact that Margaret Thatcher herself, um, the, 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 the reason why this is called like a, a peasant's revolt is that somebody lower middle class hardly, you know, 
peasantry um, was voted for by um, uh, the, the 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 party rank and file. Well, it's the idea that the the, the kind of the, the gentlemen, the grandees of the party, have been shunted out of the way. That's a nonsense. So why is it that the uh, that the, the old school Thai brigade, the uh, gentlemen who had served in kind of guards regiments and become MPs and that kind of thing, why did they want Margaret Thatcher? Why did they not want one of their own? Well, there wasn't a candidate, particularly at the time, who could have been one of their own who had had um, uh, um, the potential to win, and also. Thatcher represented solutions that they particularly to problems that they they were particularly passionate about in the mid seventies. They uh, they believed that Thatcher spoke the the language of uncompromising confrontation with Britain's trade unions, and with a sense of declinism, and with a uh, a creeping um, social compact. Um, that they believed had come from from the left, a sort of a, a social permissiveness, uh, progressive education, uh, the idea that kind of pinkos and hippies are teaching your children and uh, the whole country is turned into a giant sort of um, social services department. The, there was this um, sense that, uh, um, and David Edgerton writes about this, that... Um, at some point in the 1970s, um, the, the middle and upper classes said um, that enough was enough um, as far as the, uh, the direction that the country was going. So Margaret Thatcher was quite um, easily uh, assimilatable uh, into, into their world view um, and they, um, they looked upon her not as she presented herself to the public as the, 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 the shopkeeper's daughter from Grantham, but as the wife of Dennis Thatcher, the well-known multi-millionaire um, and uh, one of the directors of Burma Oil. So, just before becoming the leader of the uh, Conservative Party, Dennis Healy called her the La Passionara, a privileged La Passionara, was uh, one of the um, uh, outspoken uh, advocates of the Republican cause during the Spanish Civil War, um, a, a powerful figurehead speaking up for the poor. And Healy made the point that she was a powerful he- figurehead speaking up for, for wealth and power itself. But, um, David Edgerton writes, Margaret Thatcher was a nationalist with a very different sense of nation and one who clearly communicated that nationalism in an overt way. The, the thing about Margaret Thatcher and the 11 years of her tenure in office is that she would reshape the conception of the British nation through a series of confrontations. The most significant, of course, being the miners' strike, but uh, she would galvanise British nationalism during the Falklands War and she would, the final battle she would face, uh, and it would ultimately cost her, was the uh, battle over the poll tax and then finally over the question of the expansion of powers of the European Union. Uh, David Edgerton writes, Heath was able, at least, to, in, um, in part, to play the role of the party grandee. 
that Thatcher was that awful woman, as Heath called her. Um, even to some who were extremely loyal and helpful to her. In a telling anecdote, the Labour MP Dennis Skinner, a stalwart of the parliamentary left, recalls being taunted, uh, taunted, I beg your pardon, for being a grammar school boy, which, unusually for a more former minor, he was, uh, by a crowd of brain conservative public school MPs seated around her in a tea room at the House of Commons in the late 1980s. He embarrassed them all by telling them that Maggie, who sat silently among them, also went to a grammar school. Margaret Thatcher was in part a creature of the old party who spoke directly to the membership of the Conservative Party to a wider um, uh, public and to a wider public in ways that Edward Heath plainly did not. Well, Edward Heath was so awkward and difficult and um, poor in his communication uh, style anyway, that it was difficult to imagine him talking to anybody with any great effect. But so perhaps what Margaret Thatcher represents here is the kind of a bridge between an old party, the party of um, the Edens and Macmillans and, and Douglas Humes um, of the 40s, 50s and 60s, and the new party, the party of mass membership uh, and mass membership involvement of the 1980s, the, um, and the, the, the party that more effectively speaks to the aspirations of Britain's um, lower middle uh, and middle classes. Margaret Thatcher's ascent and success were not inevitable. She won the election in 1979 with a lower vote percentage than Edward Heath gained in 1970. The Conservative vote share decreased from 44% in 1979 to approximately 42% in 1983, 1987 and 1992. She was a minority taste and remained so. The electoral victories depended, particularly in 1983, on a strong performance by the new SDP Liberal Alliance, which split the opposition and nearly replaced Labour as the second party. Furthermore, the Falklands War could have finished differently. She could have lost against the miners. She could have been thrown out as a result of the, we um, of the Western scandal, which I'll talk about in a moment. And she could have been left isolated by the abolition of nuclear weapons by the USA and the USSR. She dominated politi uh, politics like no other politician since Churchill, drove through changes against strong opposition and indeed destroyed British socialism. She was admired around the world and had an extraordinary personal following within her own party. She represented and led a reinvigorated ruling class. As she herself put it, we have ceased to be a nation in retreat. We have in instead a newfound confidence, born in the economic battles at home and tested and found true 8,000 miles away. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. 
at Plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. That confidence comes from the rediscovery of ourselves and grows with the recovery of our self-respect. She had power and great self-belief, if little popularity. However, she was the first British Prime Minister to be dumped by her party while in office. And in another way, despite the successes that David Edgerton mentions there, her time in uh, office, her tenure as Prime Minister, was an epic failure. It was an epic failure because Margaret Thatcher's intention, the conflicts, the battles she fought were the the ultimate goal was to re-establish Great Britain as an industrial nation. Um, And in this, she failed completely and utterly. Great Britain um, had been experiencing two to three decades of relative economic decline and stagnation, low levels of productivity, um, high levels of inflation, and then rising unemployment from the mid-1970s onwards, peaking at the Great Depression levels of employment in the 1980s due to the kind of the economic shock tactics that her and Geoffrey Howe uh, implemented, um, uh, and the, the introduction of monetarism, the idea that one re-stimulates the economy uh, and uh, puts the fires of inflation out by stifling the money supply, which normally means huge cuts to uh, government, local authority and welfare spending. And in doing this, um, Margaret Thatcher failed to um, uh, shrink the public sector um, and thus, uh, so the theory goes, I disagree with this theory by the way, shrink the public sector, uh, and therefore uh, allow the private sector to expand. By the end of the 1980s, Britain hadn't um, regained its manufacturing base. In fact, um, Margaret Thatcher um, had stimulated one economic depression, um, a architect, artificially manufactured one in the early 1980s, and then a second one happens after the uh, stock market crash of 1987 leading all the way up into the early 1990s. Um, so, and, and these devastate British manufacturing. In addition to this, the, uh, the government's uh, light-touch regulation, um, the belief in the working, the, the flawlessness of, of markets, allowed key strategic industries to be bought, um, to be asset-stripped, uh, and to uh, be lost to overseas competitors. Edgerton writes, 
Not since the defenestration of Neville Chamberlain in May 1940 had something similar happened, but Chamberlain at least remained leader of his party and senior minister. Edward Heath was got rid of in opposition. In earlier times, Asquith and Lloyd George were kicked out of office, but largely by coalition partners, not by their own parties. What is plain is this. When she threatened a key policy of the Conservative elite and the business elite, engagement in the EEC, or now the EU, she was forced out. While Margaret Thatcher was clearly useful for a project of transformation, she was far from indispensable. There was indeed a party and class project for which she was temporarily a brilliant political figurehead. For she was thrown out not by election, but not by the actions of the Wets, uh, but by the resignations of two deeply Thatcherite senior ministers, Nigel Lawson and Geoffrey Howe. Finally, despite the strong sense that Margaret Thatcher achieved what she set out to do, it is not clear that this was the case. For it could be argued that what she appeared to want uh, was a strong, self-confident British and socially conservative nation with a powerful, regenerated manufacturing industry led by British entrepreneurs, which would reverse the decline as it had been felt defined by declinists. By these measures, she undoubtedly failed. So now we're going to skip on a little and just look at the, 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 the uh, defining ideas uh, of uh, Thatcherism. Um, that emerge from the the kind of the the, the post-war era from the really from the nineteen fifties onwards, and coalesce in uh, Thatcher's um, uh, Thatcher's time in office. And there, of course, was a, a fundamental ideological shift within conservatism at this time, away from the, the kind of the, the the paternalism of the Macmillan years to a rather more brutal uh, and um, aggressive form of um, free market libertarianism. The idea that the, the state was the problem and the state was something that interfered in people's lives, that people didn't want, that the state should be rolled back, and that men and women should be allowed to be responsible, to stand on their own feet and to do their own best by their own efforts, and that those that rise by their own efforts are rewarded and that those that are uh, that fail are in, are in some way kind of um, left to their uh, left to their own problems um, this, this was um, kind of part of the the, 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 the the deep kind of roots of the philosophy of Thatcherism now Thatcherism itself um, takes a while to emerge. The um, 1979 manifesto doesn't say an awful lot of this kind of uh, extreme uh, e uh, right-wing libertarian economic thinking. It's about law and order, it's about national pride, and it's about dealing with the unions. Um, so Thatcherism itself, probably you know, what we think of, uh, of as, as Thatcherism, we see after the miners' strike during the, the height of privatisations in the kind of the, the mid-1980s. Anyway, David Edgerton writes, Mrs Thatcher's Conservative Party was strongly influenced by many different sorts of ideas, often in contradiction with one another. Some were socially and politically conservative and authoritarian, others were libertarian. Uh, it was not just about conserving the old, but also about creating something new. It was thus not easy to comprehend by those who saw conservatives as mere reactionaries. 
and there's promoters of change uh, only on the left. And the promoters of change only on the left are big one. One strand was a growing body of economic reflection which was profoundly critical of economic nationalism or the notion that the state could or should guide economic development. The new right, as they were called by the left, believed in free trade, in letting the private sector decide on investments, on what machinery to buy, what research to do, where to locate and so on. The nation, as it had been, uh, um, as had been the case for the liberals of old, should not be a factor. So the, the, the post-war consensus, you know, which is a kind of quite a shaky concept, but we'll use it for now. The post-war consensus uh, of both conservatives and um, uh, Labour up until the 1970s is that the state did have a role in helping to direct industrial policy. And Thatcher said, well, only markets can do this. Um, only markets um, can uh, can function to allocate resources in inefficient ways. Otherwise, you know, when people start to get involved, when bureaucrats start to get involved that are not responsive to market forces, uh, all sorts of messes will will occur. So you need to free um, the free capital to make its own wonderful decisions. Of course, these decisions are rarely in the interests of anything else other than capital. Um, the uh, irony, of course, throughout this time, is that the state didn't shrink. The state is bigger in 1990 when Thatcher steps down than it is in 1979. One way of putting this, one simple explanation of this, is that when you create huge amounts of additional poverty, as Margaret Thatcher did, poverty is expensive. Poverty is a difficult thing for the state to administer. Poverty actually requires more police officers, nurses, social workers, probation officers, prison officers, um, job centre employees, um, welfare benefits, you know, the, all the stuff in order to police. Um, and the economic shock doctrine that the Conservatives had embraced after 1979 turns out to be profoundly ineffective. The, the evidence of this is that the point of introducing monetarism um, was notionally to reduce unemployment, or reduce inflation, I beg your pardon. By 1981, both in unemployment, which was seen as the price worth paying, and inflation are still rampant thus driving a, a kind of a, uh, a coach and horses through the entire concept. When it became clear that monetarism didn't make any sense, that um, limiting the money supply, starving the economy of liquidity, didn't do anything other than create more inefficiencies um, and create more economic and social problems, the Conservatives were happy to remain wedded to the concept because it did the thing that ultimately it was meant to do, and that was to maintain conservative political power. Uh, and that the, the narrative spun by the Conservative Party, by the newspapers that always support them, um, was one of monetarism um, and the efficiencies of free markets um, really bludgeoning away at the old, uh, decrepit Britain 
that was discredited by the crises of the 1970s, and that those who didn't work were, you know, lazy and uh, work shy and um, um, kind of scrounges and all, all, all this sort of stuff. These ideas are still with us. Despite the 2008 um, uh, economic crisis and the decade of austerity and Brexit that have happened, um, there's some suggestion that uh, now, as a result of the coronavirus and massive state spending uh, and, and all that kind of um, you know furlough and all that stuff, that, um, that you know monetarist ideas, these neoliberal ideas, uh, are on the wane, but. I'm yet to see it. Um, the coronavirus, I suspect, um, was the, 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 the huge state spending of the coronavirus, which is matched almost everywhere in the world, um, is a, um, you know, a matter of expediency. But the ideas um, that Thatcher injected into British political discourse are still hegemonic. 40 years on, in the same way that perhaps the ideas that Lenin introduced into Russia in 40 years after his death in 1964, he died in 1924, obviously, but years later, would still be hegemonic. That shows you the, the impact, the, the kind of like the, the, the impact that Margaret Thatcher had and the, the, sort of the strange zombie afterlife of Thatcherism that we, that we live in. So we'll revisit this at some point in the near future. I've talked today an awful lot about um, the, the political successes of Margaret Thatcher. Um, and we'll focus more on her victims another time. Anyway, thanks very much for listening to this. Um, I really, really appreciate it. And a huge, huge thank you to uh, the people who um, sponsor the Explaining History podcast via Patreon. Um, I write uh, I, I kind of like a little mini essay on there each week and uh, a few other little bits and bobs of content. So do check it out. It's, um, you know, quality stuff. And I will catch you on the next podcast. All the best. Thanks. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.